Is this some special thing that only unique people have and a couple people in the church might have it and everyone else can kind of lay aside that burden because there's these gifted people? No. Evangelism, evangelism does not require specialized training. We need to know the gospel. We need to know the truths of scripture. But I often tell people, if you knew enough about the gospel or enough of the gospel to be saved, then you must be able to communicate it in some form. Because the gospel is rational. It's not something that just impacts your heart without you understanding what it means. Well, thank you for joining us on Grace Marable Weekly. In our Topics for Tough Time series, Pastor Chris has reminded us that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be quarantined. If you are a Christian, I pray that you've been encouraged to share the gospel with everyone within your sphere of influence, especially during the unusual circumstances that we have experienced in 2020. If you're not a believer, our prayer is that through this message, the Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God, has made you realize your desperate need for a Savior and that you would repent and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would like to find out more about Grace Community Church in Maryville, Tennessee, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. There you can read our statement of faith and our distinctives as well as review our audio and video archive, which includes sermons, Sunday school lessons, and sermons from many guest speakers at our solo conferences and essentials conferences. We would love to have you worship with us in person if you are ever in East Tennessee. Our address, phone number, and email information can all be found at gracemarvel.org. Join us next Tuesday for another message in the series Topics for Tough Times from Pastor Chris Riser. Until then, remember, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be reconciled to God. He's committed to us, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to us, the word of reconciliation. Paul goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal to us. Yes, I said it's a command, but it is also an appeal. We cry out. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? Because this is the one thing for which you were created. This is the one thing that will bring eternal deliverance from hell, but also into eternal life, into right relationship with God, and then right relationship with all other believers for the rest of eternity. Of course we beg you to do this. Every other path is destruction itself, regardless of the kinds of pleasure that are had before one dies. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then the verse that I already referenced, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, having been given, having been granted in God's eternal justice, the very perfect righteousness of Christ, so that we can have a perfect relationship with him. What's then the motivation for evangelism? That's the expectation. Christ commanded us, God's word commends it to us. The motivation for evangelism is, of course, then a love for God. See, this is first and foremost. Because we love our God, because we love 
who he is, his character and nature, his, the, the person and work of Christ, the work of the Spirit of God, we long for him to be glorified and honored. Because of our love for him, our delight in him, we long for his desire to be carried out and his desires that men would be saved. So because we love him, we are then driven to tell the message to others. This is the first and foremost commandment. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This drives every other thing that we do. And certainly it drives evangelism. Every gospel effort and sacrifice is for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Preaching the gospel is part of our effort to be pleasing to the Lord. We love him, so we want to be pleasing to him. And we preach the gospel because this is pleasing to our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the gospel because it pleases our Savior. And it is his heart to see others saved. Our gospel proclamation is a response of God's love to us. See, when we know and understand and long for the love of God and to love God, that drives us towards evangelism. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Not our church, not you, not some religion. That we will proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 2 Corinthians 5.13 If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We are driven by delight in God to proclaim his excellencies to those in whom God delights to place his mercy and his love. We are also driven, motivated by a love for others. If we love God, that's the natural corollary. We will also love others, but don't miss the first part. You can't just try to drum up a desire for evangelism by a love for others, wanting to care for them. Proper love for God comes first, and it therefore directs and orients your love towards others wisely and well. It orients your love to others through the gospel, through the person and work of Christ, which is what God the Father fundamentally, who God the Father fundamentally loves. You can't love others if you don't have a proper love for God. Your love for them will be twisted, and you will end up doing things other than the gospel, other than the proclamation, other than true evangelism. If we love God, we will, of course, love others. Matthew 22, 39. The second is like it. The second, the corollary to the greatest commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 9, 1. Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul's love was so great for his fellow Jews that if possible, and of course it wasn't possible, but his love for them was so strong that he would be willing to give up the greatest thing in his own life, which was his relationship to God through Christ. 
that I would give that up if somehow I could, just if they would come to know Christ. That was his love for his people, for unbelievers. Romans 10.1, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. That was his heart's desire. That needs to be ours. Is, is that yours? That's something I think we can wrestle with where, where we can even sometimes be thinking, well, I love God and I love the church and I love worship and I love doing the things that, that please God, but I'm not driven by a longing to see others in right relationship with him because I, I, would, I, because I care for them, because I, I hate to see them in eternity in hell and I will do anything that I can. Any sacrifice that I could make, I will do because I long to see others in right relationship with God. And that can be very personal as that love for others builds in our hearts, even people that we don't know, even people, as it were, in general. That was the Apostle Paul. He didn't know everyone that he evangelized. In fact, he didn't know most of them, but he did love them. Of course, obedience to God motivates us. If we love God, we will obey him. And so our love to him will drive our obedience to this command to evangelize. And then glorification of God. We long to bring him glory. If we obey God, we will glorify God. If we proclaim the truths of the gospel, we bring him the glory that he deserves by proclaiming the greatness of his name and the greatness of his sacrifice. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So these are are our motivators. A love for God, a love for others, obedience to God, and glorification of God, a desire that he would be seen to be the great and glorious God that he truly is. Evangelism enables us to accomplish that. Well, what's the power for evangelism? So is this some special thing that only unique people have and a couple people in the church might have it and everyone else can kind of lay aside that burden because there's these gifted people? No. Evangelism, evangelism does not require specialized training. We need to know the gospel. We need to know the truths of scripture. But I often tell people, if you knew enough about the gospel, or enough of the gospel to be saved, then you must be able to communicate it in some form. Because the gospel is rational. It's not something that just impacts your heart without you understanding what it means. You have to understand it in order for the gospel to do its work. And so if you understood the gospel, then you can proclaim it to someone else. It might be halting, it might be slow. But if you can't articulate the truths of the gospel, then how did you come to know Christ? So the sense in which doesn't require any kind of specialized training. It's fascinating. The man, remember the man born blind uh, in John chapter nine? They drag him before the Senate, these big, or the, the Sanhedrin, these big high-powered religious leaders. And they say, you know, is, who is this man who talked to you? And who is this man who healed you? And is he, you know, who is he? In John 9, 25, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. And now I see. That's pretty basic. That was physically, yes. That man also came, he put a true, he ended up putting a true faith and trust in Christ. And that's pretty simple. I was blind. I was sinful. Now I see Christ made provision for me. Here's how he died for me. Those sorts of things don't take a super special training. They can be done anywhere, at any place, at any time. Evangelism is not a special gift. People have a gift. It's not only a special gift. There are people with a gifting for evangelism and they, they tend to be effective and, and, it, and, and delight in it, perhaps in, in unusual ways. But Evangelism is a gift or it's a challenge and a command to all of us. In 1 Peter 2.9, as I read, it said, you are this chosen race, royal priesthood, and holy nation. Or people for God's own possession. Why? That you, every one of you, all who are part of that chosen race, might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. There's no one who's left out of this commission. No one can say, well, it's not my gift. No, it's your calling. 
It's the very thing you were created to do. So it's not, it doesn't require specialized training. It's not some sort of, it's not only a special gift. Remember, it's not you that are the power. It's the gospel that is the power. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is that truth, those principles. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Peter 1.23. You have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So you don't have to bring the power somehow. You don't have to drum up the power. You don't have to get powerful. You need to proclaim the truth. You proclaim the truths of the gospel and it is the power. That is the spirit of God uses those truths to transform the heart, to literally bring the dead heart to life. I hope that encourages you. You don't have to be super Christian. You don't have to, you know, have been a believer all your life. In fact, sometimes that hinders you. You tend to get used to it. All you need to do is unleash the truth of the gospel in proclaiming it and saying these truths. You need to know them. You need to believe them. And then you need to proclaim them. The gospel is the power. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit provides it, as we've seen over and over in Acts 1.8, and all the work that God said he would do comes through the power of the Spirit of God who indwells every believer. It's pretty important, by the way. This idea that, you know, not everyone is indwelt by the Holy Spirit or there's some second work by which you are permanently indwelled or, or, or empowered. No, all the Holy Spirit comes to live when you are, when you, Come to salvation when the Spirit saves you. All of him comes to live inside. He's poured out richly upon you and all the power that you need is there because it's his. As you proclaim the gospel, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers it in the lives of other people. Now, it is also true that the scripture indicates that when you are living for Christ in the power of the Spirit of God, that that is a, a something that God uses to empower the gospel, to cause it to go forth with power. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians where Paul said the gospel came in, as we proclaimed it and through the testimony of changed lives, of complete conviction that we have. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This powerful witness is paired with the powerful gospel, both of those being the work of the Holy Spirit that then bring the gospel with power to the unbeliever. So it is not your power. It doesn't require specialized training. It's not a special gift. The gospel is the power. The Holy Spirit provides it. And as he works in you for a holy life, which enhances the proclamation of that truth. Now, what are the barriers to evangelism? There are many. There are many. I could name a bunch of them. But let me just mention a few that, and, and maybe this will help you. Maybe I can help allay some of the fears as you consider, well, why don't we evangelize? Sometimes we fear the mode, the mode of evangelism. Look, I'm afraid of going door to door. Fine. Share with your friends. Now, I don't want to go, you know, walk out and knock on someone's door and say, hey, I'm going to share the gospel. Great. Just share it with the people who are sitting next to you. Share it with your family members. Start there. As I mentioned, there's great value in having other people help you and encourage you to step out and begin to share somewhere else. It was tremendously helpful in my own life to embolden me in other places. But if that mode is not something that you, th that you think, well, I don't, I don't know about that particular mode, fine. Do it somewhere else. Do it in another way. You don't have to do it according to some particular uh, pattern. And that's big out there today. You got to do it in this pattern and that pattern. And Jesus did it this way. I'm telling you, and we don't have time for to do this tonight. Jesus did it in every way. He sometimes added to the commandments to cause people to recognize their sin. He sometimes didn't mention the commandments at all and said, I provide living water. He always talked about sin. He always talked about the gospel. He always talked about the nature of believing in him. 
And he did it in a thousand different ways. So you don't have to worry about the mode in that sense. Don't fear that. It's got to be done a certain way, a certain place. No, we just need to proclaim the gospel. We have a big fear of the unknown. How will people respond? What will happen if I do this? What will happen to my relationship? That's where faith comes in. Because sometimes people don't like you. Sometimes they do slam the door in your face. Sometimes a friend says, I don't want any more of that. Sometimes a family member, an extended family member says, no more of this discussion. That will happen. But in Christ, we can overcome the fear of the unknown by knowing that he's the one who does the work. All we need to, be do is, need to do is to be willingly used as a vessel of his and that he will strengthen us to work our way through whatever might come as a result of what we share. There will be difficulties when we share Christ. I can't tell you that there won't be. But in Christ, we don't need to fear because if he is our first priority, then he will strengthen us in these other ways. A fear of man is a huge problem. We, again, we wonder what they will think. We're afraid that they won't accept us. Well, that you have to work through by not longing for their acceptance in any other way. A love of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, a love of the acceptance of the world. That's a much more fundamental problem than evangelism. As you learn to put those things away and as you learn to not love the world, then you gain a fear of God as opposed to a fear of men and you're able to evangelize with greater power. Now, a fear of failure is another problem. What if I just don't do it right? And you know what? I failed more times in my life than I could even share with you. Times when the gospel just it barely came out. It came out all jumbled up. I didn't say as much as I needed to say. I was put off by a question I shouldn't have been. Yes, I failed a thousand times in this. But the joy is that in every one of those failures, there was an attempt. And every time I didn't get it right, at least I sought to get it right. And of course, I failed by not doing it at all, but that's a different kind of failure. Failure to just, you know, to even engage is one thing. Failure when you engage is actually very encouraging. You are making progress, even when you don't get it just right. Even when you don't get even close to right. You are pushing forward, stretching the envelope. And so don't fear failure. It will happen often. Rarely is the time when you walk away from a time of evangelism going, that was perfect. I said it just right. I got it just right. So don't fear that. Instead, trust the Lord that he will use it to strengthen you. Then, of course, there's a fear of work. See, evangelism is a lot of effort. It's kind of this weightiness that comes with being a believer of I need to evangelize. And you're right, you do. And it is hard to stir up our own hearts, our mind, our will, our affections, our, our energy to stretch it past our comfort zones and to step out and to proclaim this truth. It's perhaps the scariest thing we do. It takes a huge amount of effort, but God provides it. But we need to learn to overcome spiritual laziness again in every area. And that will help us in this work of evangelism. If we fear the work, then we need to practice. We need to get in the gym. So I do a little bit of the store to door evangelism. So I begin to practice with close friends. That's why you work through these things so that you gain perseverance, you gain strength. So fear of the mode of evangelism, of the unknown, of failure, the fear of man, fear of work, all of those things can hinder us. But if we turn them around, we can see in each one of those a way to overcome the fear by trusting, by persevering, by recognizing the delight, by, by delighting in God, and by remembering the value of every, every opportunity. Every time you try, every time you seek to put evangelism into practice in your life, you are winning. You are stepping forward. No matter how small that step may be, a text to a friend, an email that just kind of mentions it, a couple of statements just trying to draw out to someone have a Christian background, whatever it might be, those are the beginning steps towards a, a faithful and, and effective life of evangelism. 
And which brings me to my next point. What characterizes success in evangelism? How do you know, or how do you know if you can be successful? Well, some would say it's how many converts. But I would say that that wasn't the measure of success that Jesus used. So let's consider what it would mean to live a life and finish your life out and say, I was successful in evangelism. Just at the outset, it certainly isn't going to mean that you never make a mistake, that you never pass over an opportunity, that you never bungle one terribly. It's not going to mean that. But I would say with these pieces, if you want to finish your life and say, that was an effective life of evangelism. One, consistent prayer. Consistent prayer. There's a, there's a number of verses I could go to here. Paul was constantly asking people to pray for him that he would be effective in evangelism. He prayed himself that he would be effective. He prayed for people. He talked about Epaphras wrestling in prayer for his church and for people to come to Christ. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus seeing the people felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. First pray. Even before you run out and go, begin to pray, God, will you send out workers? And you begin to pray, well, I be, can I, may I be one of those? And you start to look for those opportunities. So a faithful life of prayer all the way through, beseeching the Lord that he would do his work in your family, in this church, in Maryville, in Tennessee, in the United States, around the world, you begin to cultivate a life of prayer that extends beyond the realm of your own little world and impacts the rest of the world. William Carey begins cobbling shoes, using the globe, praying through the peoples that are there, and God eventually sends him. Numerous other examples could be used. The first way you begin to be successful in evangelism is to pray. But you can't stop there can only be prayer. There needs to be a passion for souls to be saved and to worship Jesus. You need to ask that the Lord would give you this passion. You need to exercise it by considering people in their desperate need, real people, the people around you, the people in your school, the people in your, in your home, your friends that are there. You need to start to think about them in light of, do they know the gospel? And ask the Lord to give you grace to long for their conversion, that they would honor Christ and that they would find their satisfaction in him. Again, it can't be conversions that are the total or the sum total of success because Jesus didn't have a conversion every time he witnessed. Remember the rich young ruler? He comes and says, how can, I, how can I get to heaven? How can I have eternal life? Jesus tells him, you have to follow me. You have to set aside your love of the world. You have to come after me. You have to take up your cross daily and follow me. That's essentially what he said. The rich young ruler walked away and said, forget it. Jesus, the great evangelist, didn't always in fact, many times, did not have any fruit that was visible to our eyes. So it can't be conversions. It is that you have a passion for these souls and then that you seek at every place you can to give a careful and accurate delivery of the message. So it is a prayer, a life of prayer that's consistent, a passion for souls to be saved, that you long to see them worship Jesus. You're cultivating that. Charles Spurgeon said, do you expect the Lord to save sinners you do not love? or convert souls you do not care a bit about. The Holy Spirit's great instrument for the conquering of the world is the love of his people for others. But then you have to long and you have to practice carefully and accurately delivering the message. We have to give the truth. God, man, sin, response, the message that I just gave, over and over learning it. 
I love to hear men of faith when they get in front of the cameras, men that I respect and, and, and whose lives are lived for the gospel. They will give every opportunity, even in the soundbite age, you got like Al Mohler. I mean, every time he gets on camera and someone asks him something, he goes, well, let me tell you this and this and this. And oh, by the way, man is sinful. God is holy. Jesus came to save and you need to believe in Jesus. I mean, he says this in 30 second versions, in one minute versions, in two minute versions, everywhere he goes. John MacArthur is the same. It was on Larry King Live for a number of, of times uh, back during 9-11 and some other, and other crises. And every time they'd ask him, well, what do you think about this? He'd say, well, you know, here's this, uh, but I don't really know much about it. Let me tell you about God's word. And let me tell you about the need for salvation. And every time he would share the gospel. That's what we need to do. Careful and accurate delivery of the message. You can't make people believe. We know scripturally that it is God who chooses, God who calls, God who transforms the heart. So we present the message carefully and accurately, and we'll let the Holy Spirit do his work. It's tremendously freeing. And yet it's a tremendous responsibility. So the idea that if we believe in God's sovereignty, that somehow we won't proclaim the message. No, God works through means. It's the very message that he uses to save, to accomplish his saving purposes. So that means we are required to present the message. We're not required to make people believe. He does that. But we are required in every place and with every opportunity as the Lord gives grace to carefully and accurately deliver the message and then be persistent. That's a successful life of evangelism. Consistent prayer, passion for souls to be saved and to worship Jesus, careful and accurate delivery of the message, and then persistence over time. Don't give up. You mess up terribly yesterday? Fine, share today. Share tonight. Share tomorrow. Don't give up. You get to the end of your life. And you're going to say, by the Lord's grace, it was a successful life of evangelism because I didn't give up. There's the issue. I've gone through ebbs and flows in my life. Times when it seems to go come much more easily, and much more successful and driven much more. And then some weeks and months and years I have to fight to battle for it, to get up all, you know, out of my comfort zone and to press out. And when people come into my home to, to actively share, that's just the nature of it. It, come, it ebbs and flows as far as my abilities and, and even my desires, but there has to be a consistent pressing forward so that I might, at the end of the day, be able to say with the Apostle Paul, as best I can, that I was innocent of the blood of all men. That's my goal. It's not, it's not going to be true. There are people that I've not shared with, but that is my goal, that I would ever increasingly not miss that opportunity. All right, lastly, the discipline of evangelism. I'm just going to lay out some principles. How do we do this? Again, I notice I didn't say the method of evangelism. There's a billion ways to do it, but these are the disciplines you will need. We've already talked about most of them. One, verbal proclamation. You have to practice this. It has to, you have to know the truths of the gospel clearly in your own mind so that you can continually present them. No one can believe the gospel without hearing it. And constantly, the whole very word evangelism, again, evangelizo, the verb I talked about is to proclaim. So you have to learn how to do this over and over and over. So that's the discipline. Will you practice with your siblings? Practice with your parents. Come practice when we do it with you. Practice in other places. You know, try at any time as much as possible to be able to get out the full nature of the gospel in various time frames, some long, some short. Constantly practicing. Live a transformed life. Constantly work to see that the truths of the gospel are being are being settled down deeply in the truths of your life, that you are changing, that your attitudes are changing. Your words are changing. Your, your loves are changing. 
Your hobbies are everything is changing and growing and conforming to the image of Christ. That's the discipline of evangelism. You're not going to be effective. You're not going to be driven to it. You're going to end up more lazy than you desire if your life isn't being transformed. Romans 12, 1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A godly life is, as we have said, a powerful support for the gospel, but a godly life is not a substitute for the spoken gospel. They go together. Third discipline of an evangelistic life is to live a life of prayer. We said it. That's how you're going to be ultimately look back and say, I was affected because I continued to pray. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Do you pray for our missionaries? Young people listening to me tonight, teens, do you take the time to pour out your heart in prayer for the missionaries that we have? You need to. You need to practice here. You should have a passion for their work. It's not your parents that are supposed to have that. You're the church. You are also part of it. When we do our missions nights and do our other things, that's active participation for you. But outside of that as well, do you have it on your list? Is it something you do regularly? Do you pray for the gospel to go forth through our church, through other God-fearing churches? around the world, certain places? Do you pray through areas of the world? You on your own as a young person, not just when you come to the 30-hour famine, not just when you sit with your parents around the table. Do you do it in the morning and in the evening on your own? Will you commit to living a life of prayer? Use your gifts with a view to evangelism. What do I mean by that? That you pour out your giftedness into the local church. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one's received a special gift, employed in serving one another. But all of that was a, is with a view to the fact that as you pour into the church and it grows into the maturity of Christ, that it will be an effective and powerful witness. You never lose sight of why the church is growing. It's not growing just to grow. It's not growing so we can say, look at how great Grace Community Church is, even if it's not numerically, look how spiritual we are. No. The purpose of the growth of the church is that it would be a testimony to the greatness of Christ and that people would come to know him. Pour out your giftedness into the church so that it can be the evangelistic church that it is called to be. Practice the basics. As I mentioned, over and over. God, man, sin, response. God, man, Christ, response, over and over. Who is God? Who is man? Who is Christ? What's the response? What's repentance? What's faith? Put those things together. Practice those basics over and over and find any time to get that practice. Overcome your own excuses. What are they? That person won't like me. I don't really know what to say. I'm, I'm, I, I just, I don't feel like doing it right now. Learn step by step and day by day to, to give the gospel one more time. To get closer to the gospel one more time. To stop the excuses, to get rid of one more excuse. And then they all come up the next day and you have to do it again. And then three weeks from now, the same excuses are popping up and you got to do it again. Learn your excuses. Learn how to, how to set them aside and step forward in each day as a new day to set them aside. Make the time to do it. It's not just going to happen. You're going to have to think about your friends and how you can make a time to speak with them. You're going to have to think about your coworkers and how you can make a time. You're, you're looking to create a time. You can't just be so busy with all your other stuff that you never open up these times for the sharing of the truth of the gospel. 
For that reason, you must establish contact with unbelievers. Now, many of you already have that. It's in your own home. You have siblings that don't know Christ. I mean, do you argue with them and get mad at them when they go in your room? Or do you pray for them and preach the gospel to them? If you're in high school or junior high, many of you have younger siblings. Some of you are the youngest. Maybe you have older siblings that don't know Christ. Whatever it might be, start there. Graciously share the truths of the gospel. You You should long that your siblings would come to know Christ. But then in your workplace, many of you, my teens, are working now. Everybody claims to be a Christian in your workplaces. This is the South, right? You work at Chick-fil-A, everybody does. Everybody's not a Christian at Chick-fil-A. Everybody makes a profession. But so many of them have no idea of what, who Christ truly is. Take some time. Take baby steps. Just begin to proclaim. It's not enough that they just know you're a Christian. Learn how to articulate the truths of the gospel and do it just a step at a time. But, but it, it establish that contact with unbelievers. Again, it could be in your homeschool group. It could be in your school group. It could be in, in whatever it might be, in your workplaces for my adults, where you are just carving out those times. Remember, it's not a particular mode. It, it, is, it is a discipline to learn how to share these things. So establish that contact. Cultivate contexts for sharing the gospel. Make the most of every opportunity, says Colossians 4.6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Here's just just a couple of questions that you ask. You ask how you can pray for someone. That oftentimes will open up a conversation. Be interested in their life. Ask them what they do and, and begin to share the things that you do. Ask about their spiritual background. There's some very simple questions that at least are getting you close to the gospel. Sometimes people take hold of those and you can move to the gospel. Sometimes it just shuts you down and it goes everywhere else. But at least you were trying. At least you have some things that you constantly are seeking to ask or ways that you're introducing a, an avenue towards spiritual things. Every once in a while, just sit down with someone and I'll be like, let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, that does happen. But generally, it works its way through some of these questions. And, and try my five-minute rule. That is... If you're going to have five minutes of exclusive contact with someone you don't know as a believer, practice trying to bring the gospel up. You've got a salesman who comes to your home. You've got a serviceman who comes to your home. They've got to fix your furnace. You've got to be there for more than five minutes. Yeah, he's working, but that's fine. He's captive audience. He can do. He's done that a thousand times. He can heal. He, believe me, he will want to talk to you about some things. So try to get the gospel in there. Try to work your way towards it. It's not necessarily true. You know, you're walking through the checkout counter. You got you know 30 seconds with that person. You can you know do your best, but that, those aren't the best places necessarily. If you got five minutes, you usually have time to share the gospel and just work. If you walk away from a five minute opportunity and didn't, say, Lord, give me grace to do it next time. But look for those, cultivate those, and build those five minute opportunities to seek to share the gospel. Keep some good tracks available. Have them in your car. I keep them in my backpack. Uh, I try to have some in my glove compartment and I can hand those out or leave them as I have need. I have a lot of the biblical salvation explains, but I took a packet of our uh, COVID-19. Well, it was an update from, uh, was it uh, J.C. Ryle? Uh, can God use sickness? Well, any sickness, now the COVID-19. So I have some of those and I've handed some of those out. Have good tracks available. And then be passionate about supporting missions. And I'm going to give a little plug here in two ways. We have the Malakars coming from India to minister to us next Sunday. Uh, or excuse me, the Sunday after that, the, the 7th of June. Be active in that. Be involved. Pray for that. We're going to have a, a dinner on Sunday evening where we go out and have them share, their, share the, uh, their ministry with us and then ask questions. Be there. Be interested. 
be active in supporting our missionaries and in seeking to be involved in some way. Give your money. Yeah, you're a team. Many of you get an allowance. Some of you are working to earn a car. Take some of that money, set it aside, give it to the church as we give towards missions or even support some missionaries directly. So what can you do to live a passionate life of missions? Well, first you need to know Jesus yourself. You need to have truly trusted in him. And next, you need to be fueled for a passion that others would know the greatness of the God you serve. And as you are captivated with his greatness and with his glory, and as you practice these truths, and as you look and and seek to press in perseverance towards these opportunities, you will find that evangelism begins to flow. It will ebb and flow and be greater at times and lesser than others, but it will flow and it will build and it will become a passion for you for your entire life. That's what I long for. Begin with the small things and have it become for you an ever-increasing and growing passion so that your life, when you look back on it, you say, it was a life well-lived in evangelism. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your goodness and your salvation and your holiness and your justice and your love that call us to yourself, that have grant, have, have proclaimed the gospel to us, that others Proclaim to us so that we might put faith and trust in Christ and grant us grace to be evangelists, to proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Grace Maribel Weekly. In our Topics for Tough Times series, Pastor Chris has reminded us that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be quarantined. If you are a Christian, I pray that you've been encouraged to share the gospel with everyone within your sphere of influence, especially during the unusual circumstances that we have experienced in 2020. If you're not a believer, our prayer is that through this message, the Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God, has made you realize your desperate need for a Savior, and that you would repent and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would like to find out more about Grace Community Church in Maryville, Tennessee, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. There you can read our statement of faith and our distinctives as well as review our audio and video archive, which includes sermons, Sunday school lessons, and sermons from many guest speakers at our solo conferences and essentials conferences. We would love to have you worship with us in person if you are ever in East Tennessee. Our address, phone number, and email information can all be found at gracemaryville.org. Join us next Tuesday for another message in the series Topics for Tough Times from Pastor Chris Riser. Until then, remember, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.